0: Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. Today we're talking about freedom. That song is called Freedom. It's by Pharrell, in case you guys are wondering, okay? Some of y'all need to listen to some music every now, then, I'm just kidding. Um... We're talking about freedom today. Somebody say freedom. Uh, This mic seems really loud. All right, I'm good. I think I'm good. Y'all can hear me though? Pretty well. Maybe I'll turn down just a little bit. Cool. Well, I'm excited to continue our series. It is the first Sunday of July. We're on the second half of the year. Amen. It's the beginning of the second part of the year. My question for all of us today is, have you reached your goals? <laughs> I had a goal of losing some weight. There you go, amen, hallelujah. I'm just gonna go in. It ain't happened yet, okay? Um, I had a goal of losing some weight and uh, Zaxby's had a goal of me gaining weight. So I lost the battle, I'm just kidding but I'm grateful that I get to, uh, to be here with you all this morning. Uh, these Sundays are typically pretty pretty interesting because a lot of people like to travel during this time. Uh, many of my friends actually all over the world, they had online only service today. And I woke up this morning, I said, Erin, it never even crossed my mind to do service online only. It crossed hers, it didn't cross mine. I'm not saying that they are, something's wrong with them for doing it, but it just never crossed my mind because I would have totally been like, yo, online only? Enjoy your week, you know. But uh, we're here, and God has us here for a reason, for a purpose, and I believe it's on purpose. Amen? I don't ever believe that God does anything by uh, coincidence. I think He's always intentional. Actually, the Bible teaches very clearly. That God is intentional, Amen. And so uh, we here, we up in here, we sweating. Some of us ain't smelling so hot. Eh. Come on, Let's get it. feel it feels warm in here today, Amen. Somebody say a little warm. Um, but God is still good and God is still great. So today we're talking about freedom. As you know, we've been talking about, uh, we've been choosing different songs to kind of unpack this idea of being sons and daughters in Christ. I believe that it's important for us as a church to get back to the point where we don't focus on what people do, but we focus on who they are, amen? And uh, a lot of the church world has switched to, I want to tell you what you should be doing and then tell you who you are in Christ. Come on, somebody. Do you hear me? If my son was struggling with things, I would be telling him who he is. Whenever I discipline my son, I always infuse a little bit of, hey, this is not who you are. You're patient, you're a kind person, you are part of my family. Hey, come on somebody, you understand? Last night we were, had a little talk, me and him had a little talk and I said, buddy, a, a fruit of the spirit is self-control. You have that, this is who you are. Yeah. And uh, it is important to recognize that because a lot of what we've seen in church nowadays is we spend so much time trying to correct behaviors instead of dealing with identity. Amen. Oh, it's going to get, it might get a little heavy today, okay? I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Amen, hallelujah, amen. We spend a lot of times working, focusing on behaviors, and while people might have right behaviors, they may still not know who they are. Come on, somebody. Uh, You ever met a criminal who's not in jail? (laughs) Come on. Y'all catch that? You know what I'm saying? There's some folks who still criminals. They ain't in jail, but they criminals. Come on, somebody. Bless God. So... If we learn how to deal with actions and behaviors, we can give people a false sense of freedom and a false sense of hope, and Jesus does not do that. Amen? So we're talking about freedom today. Somebody say freedom. freedom. Turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 31 through 47. We've got a lot of verses to read, so get ready to strap in. Let's go. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. Jesus came out the block on fire, okay? It's going to get rough for them in just a few <laughs> minutes, okay? I'm just telling y'all ahead of time, all right? He said, if you, if, when you continue to embrace all, somebody say, all, all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom in your lives. Surprised by this, they said, But we're the descendants of Abraham and we're already free, Jesus. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How could you say that we will be released into more freedom? I speak eternal truth, Jesus said. When you sin, you are not free. You become a slave to, in bondage to your sin, and slaves have no permanent standing in a family. Are you catching that? Yeah. Yeah. Like a son does, for a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free from sin, then you become a true son and be unquestionably free. One translation said, "If the son sets you free, you are free." Indeed, somebody say free indeed. free indeed. Unquestionably free. Even though you are descendants of Abraham, like you so caught, you know, so kindly pointed out, you desire to kill me because the message I bring has not found a home in your hearts. Ooh. Ooh, Yet the truths I speak, I've seen and received from my fathers in my father's presence. But you are doing what you learned from your father. What do you mean, they replied. Abraham is our father. Jesus said if you are really Abraham's son, then you will follow in the steps of Abraham. I've only told you the truth that I've heard in my presence, in my father's presence, but now you are wanting me dead. Is that how Abraham acted? Jesus one boy, Jew. <laughs> Jesus, he was gangster. He was pretty gangster. I'm just to throw that. feel like Jesus, he had a little G and him, just... Is that how Abraham acted? No, you people are doing what your father has taught you. Indignant, they responded. <laughs> what are you talking about? We have only one father, God himself. We are not illegitimate. Excuse me, first of all, I want to I make, uh, uh, just to point out something in the scripture real quick. Just a few scriptures before they call Abraham the father. Jesus corrected them, and then they said, well, we only have one father. It's God himself. Maybe they thought Abraham was God. We only have one father, God himself. We're not illegitimate. Jesus said, then if God were really your father, you would love me. For I've come from his presence. I didn't come here on my own, but God sent me to you. Why don't you understand what I say? You don't understand because your hearts are closed to my message. Dang, Jesus. You are the offspring of your father, the devil. Come on. I feel like saying it like they said in Black Panther. You are the offspring of your father, huh? You yeah, how he said it in Black Panther? The devil and you serve your father very well passionately carrying out his desires. He's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth, for he is full of nothing but lies, and lying is his native tongue. He is a master of deception and the father of lies. But I am the true prince who speaks nothing but the truth, yet you refuse to believe and you want nothing to do with me. Can you name one sin I've committed? Then if I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? If you really knew God, you would listen, receive, and respond to His faith with faith to His words. But since you don't listen and respond to what He says, it proves that you don't belong to Him and you have no room in Him for your, for Him in your hearts. Wow, Jesus! That, that escalated quick. <laughs> so we're talking about freedom today. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to say. I pray you speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. John chapter eight, uh, accounts of Jesus's, uh, it's a continuation of the account of Jesus's debate with the Pharisees after the Feast of the Tabernacle, which if you look in chapter seven, this is all going on in chapter seven. There's a debate happening about the feast of, you know, some different things going on. And the Pharisees are going back and forth with Jesus about stuff. And so this, we get to chapter eight and it's a continuation of this debate. Okay. Um, the sense in the text is that Jesus uh, had confounded his opponents as he preached at the temple and then they went on their own ways. This is how chapter eight started. And Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives to sleep. Y'all mind if I teach a little bit? Just unpack. As a matter of the original text, it's questionable whether this was even included in the original manuscript. The story that's happening, that's about to unfold in the first part of Um, John chapter 8 so you know as Jesus is debating them and teaching them they they bring this woman that was caught in the very act of adultery okay Um, is there some debate and controversy about whether or not this is actually you know was included in the original manuscript and you know where to put it Some manuscripts have it. Some put it in late or in the thing. Here's what we can settle on, and here's what the debate is settled on, is the story definitely did happen. Okay? This is something that, that actually happened, and most would agree it happened in this timeline right here, okay? Um, all the evidence suggests that the scribes were not sure about the exact position but they retained it as part of the four gospels because they knew it belonged and they knew it happened they just didn't know where it belonged okay Um, and there are lots that omitted the story but here's the thing it happened So I know we read down in chapter eight, but it's important to understand what happened at the top of chapter eight, so we can really unpack what Jesus is saying at the end. All right? Um, If we cannot accept the first 12 verses of chapter eight, it's hard to accept the gospel as a whole. So you know what's going on is Jesus is standing in this temple. He's teaching. He is uh, all, all the people that came. They sat down there listening to Jesus teaching, and these religious authorities they wanted to arrest. Jesus. They were ready for any point to figure out a way to trap him. They wanted to trap him and arrest him and do all these things. So in order to do this they decide to target a woman. Amen? And use her as a pawn in a greater story. Because they wanted to trap Jesus. So he came into, again into the temple and all the people came to him. He sat down and he taught them. If, if we take the uh, chronology of the Gospel of John in its current composition, Jesus remained in, the te- in Jerusalem for a few days after the Feast of the Tabernacle. Though the religious authorities wanted to silence and arrest him, he still boldly taught Uh, large crowds in the most public place in Jerusalem, the temple. Amen? In verse 12, Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. In verse 32 of this chapter contains a very well-known teaching of you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We just read that. And in verse 56 to 58, Jesus claims to have pre-existed Before time, he says very verily, before Abraham was, I am. So they're having all these different conversations going on. There's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot of things going down. Jesus reveals to them a lot about who he is. He makes a lot of claims about himself in this chapter. the pre-existing claim is, is a huge one to, to really consider because I don't know at this point, they didn't, you know, Jesus wasn't saying, walking around saying, I was here before all y'all. They're like, Abraham's our father. He's like, I was here before Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. Come on, somebody. Only God can make those kind of claims. Only the true Messiah could make those kind of claims and the people struggled with it because they really didn't know how to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Or as Jesus said, y'all want to kill me and your father's the devil. And you won't actually deal with your heart issue. So you're having a hard time accepting me as the truth. One other scripture, Jesus actually goes on and makes a claim. He says, I am the truth, the way, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except what? Through me. So Jesus makes a lot of claims about himself, and one of the claims he makes is I am the truth. Somebody say the truth. It's a different ball game when somebody makes a claim that I am the truth versus I'm telling the truth. It's a different ball game. It's a character. It's a nature of a person. You know, because we can can meet people and they say, well, I'm telling the truth. If you say I am the truth, it means there's no room for you to tell a lie. You make a claim like I am the truth. I'm I'm essentially telling you there's no ability to lie within me. And Jesus doesn't just make a claim. He doesn't just say I'm telling the truth. He says "I." I am. I am the truth. Somebody say, I am the truth. truth. You know, we've all met the people that we, you know, the people that we meet who says, I'm telling the truth and you, like, yeah, for about five minutes. (laughs) Get you at the supermarket and you won't be telling the truth. Come on, somebody. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I am the truth. So it's a lot to unpack in the scripture, but I want to bring our focus to the first few scriptures of it when this woman shows up. These men bring this woman out in front of Jesus, and they are doing it to trap him. And I want to offer you a few thoughts about freedom today that I believe we can glean from this scripture, especially in context, amen? Amen first thought is this. Jesus' freedom is offered through humility. Somebody say freedom. Real freedom. Jesus' freedom comes through humility. Somebody say humility. Humility. If we were to scroll back up to verse 3 which I'm not going to read it but basically what happens is this woman is brought to Jesus. She was caught in the very act of adultery come on somebody I think they had scribes hub if you catch what I'm saying <laughs> Pharisee hub you catch what I'm saying <laughs> then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they set her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman was caught in adultery in the very act I don't know that I would have told Jesus that. (laughs) We call it in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? There's a couple of things to understand here. First of all, that Jesus's freedom is offered through humility. They brought him a woman caught in adultery. And they did this as Jesus publicly taught in the temple courts. They wanted to make it as public as possible. Somebody say, "Public as possible." They wanted to embarrass her. They wanted to uh, to 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 uh, make her feel low. They wanted to. Uh, they used her as a pun. Their real intention was to trap Jesus, but in the in their pridefulness, in their seeking of trying to take down Jesus, they trampled over people. Oh, sounds like some of the church today. We trample over people because we want to get our points across and we want to prove ourselves and we want this to happen and we want to push our religious agenda at the cost of people. It's very evident in the story, same things happen. They're, they're trying to push this religious agenda, wanting to trap Jesus so they could do what they needed to do. So they could secure their spot as, you know, whatever they were. Because this man is threatening the very existence of what we do here. He's doing all these signs and wonders, and he's claiming that he is God, and we just ain't for that. Come on. So he's threatening our titles, our positions, our our, our 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 whatever in society. And what do we need to do? We got to push a religious agenda and we'll do that at the cost of people. So they bring this woman caught in the very act. And they wanted to, They wanted to make it as public as possible. They wanted to embarrass both the woman and Jesus. All the indications are that her accusers had some special vindictiveness against her. This is shown in the fact that they brought only the woman. Keep moving, it. Keep moving. <laughs> they brought only the woman publicly. There was no need for this. They could have kept her in custody yeah. while the case was referred to Jesus. They could have they covered her and not exposed her. Somebody had a problem with her. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Somebody had a problem... And they didn't bring the man. I wonder who was the man. But that's another conversation. The verb "caught" in the present in the per, is a the verb "caught" is in the perfect tense. It indicates that they were taking her; to, she was taken with shame upon her. It could it implies that she was this was not the first time uh, that she was in this situation okay so they knew this I wonder how they knew it (laughs) but that is another message (laughs) this woman was caught in adultery in the very act These religious leaders brought this woman to Jesus in a shame-filled, humiliating circumstances. She was held against her will, a prisoner under the custody of religious police who caught her involved with a man who was not her husband in the very act of adultery. We can't omit the obvious. There's obviously a man involved in the very act of adultery as well. Yet the guilty man was not brought before Jesus for judgment. So this could imply that there was, uh, it was also meant to be uh, prearranged spies sent to witness this affair as well. This is all planned out, people. Come on now, listen, listen. I want I want you to really consider this. That okay? So they caught her in the very act, okay? In the very act. So this was prearranged. Spies were sent to check on the affair, or I would imagine maybe friends were told about what was going on, huh? Or maybe. The man was a religious leader himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, on. Come on, religious leader who was caught but threw it on the woman yeah. who wouldn't take responsibility for his involvement in the, mm, called in the very act. legally speaking the standard of evidence was very high for this crime, for this accusation Okay, you understand how this worked in the time there had to be two witnesses somebody say two witnesses and they had to agree perfectly on what happened and in order for this to happen they had to see the sexual act take place it wasn't enough come on now to see the pair leaving a room or lying in the same bed, they had to see the go down go down. Pharisee hub. Are you catching what I'm saying? Somebody had to see actual physical movements. Of, this, of these two people and there couldn't be any question about what was going down. This is the way you could make this type of accusation back then. It wasn't a, oh, you know, yeah, I saw some coming out of the room. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh my God! No, it was yo. I got the video. <laughs> this is way. listen, under the law then, the way things worked then, they had to witness the very act and it couldn't be questioned. The conditions were so astringent uh, they could only have been met on very, very rare occasions. It's not something that would just would have happened like they would have had to plan this. So under these conditions, the obtaining of evidence in, in this adultery would almost be impossible if the situation were the situation not a setup. Come on somebody. Moses in the law commanded us that they go on and say, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Is it true that, and it is true that adultery, the capital punishment was a stoning, come on, right? It was a stoning under the Jewish law, but the rules for the evidence, the application were extremely strict. So the, the act had to be observed by multiple witnesses who agreed exactly in their testimony, come on. And as a uh, as a practical matter, mostly nobody was executed for adultery because it was just very rare that you could get two people to agree and prove that it actually happened, okay? Because it was relatively a private sin, just like today. So you get this happening. They bring this woman to Jesus and they're talking and they're saying under the law, we're supposed to stone her, which is very true. It's very accurate. But they're also supposed to stone the man who's absent. Okay. They say to Jesus, what do you say? They set a trap for Jesus. Jesus said, let her go then uh, he would have seemed to break the law of Moses. Okay? And he could see would have, it would have almost been acceptance of the sin, which was outside of no, but if he would have said, let her go, he would have broke the law of Moses. If he would have said, execute her for the crime of adultery, then Jesus would have seemed harsh and cruel. And he would also break Roman law because the Romans had taken the right of official execution for religious offenses away from the Jews. This is this is similar to when they posed the question about paying taxes to Jesus. Jesus said, "Give Caesar," but, but you know, if it's his, give it to him. So Jesus. This is what I love. All right, so Jesus, we're getting to, where am I getting to? I'm trying to get there, okay? I'm trying to get there. I just want to unpack unpack a little bit. Jesus' freedom is offered through humility. Somebody say humility. What does Jesus do? They're trying to set a trap. We always, we, we see that obviously some of these men got some other issues going on. Come on, right? They're trying to set Jesus up, and Jesus does what? He ignores the accusers and he stoops down and starts writing in the dirt now this is powerful this is this is a powerful thing because you have to understand we got to we got to unpack this a little bit the only person who could actually condemn her stoops down the one who could actually bring accusation To her condemn her call her a dirty distant sinner is the one who stoops down and touches the dirt as I've read this over and over there's a few things that I've had a few ways I've tried to unpack this first of all there's humility in the freedom that Jesus offers the church is always talking about standing against something or standing up Against something, we gotta stand up against this. We gotta stand against this. We gotta stand for something. And Jesus is like, no, I need you to kneel for someone. Wow. We gotta stand here. We gotta stand up for this. You know that old saying: if you if you don't stand up for something, you'll fall for everything. Yeah. And while it's great American theology, it is not biblical. At all and we lead our churches like that. And there was so much in this scripture. And I was looking at this, and one of the things that really just stood out to me is that Jesus stoops down. Somebody say, Stoop down. He doesn't, he doesn't think it's important to stand with the accusers, he stoops down. Somebody say, Stoop down. He models something that they've missed, humility. Because we can never change a world that we don't come to with a humble heart. We can never impact lives if we don't approach them from a place of humility. I can't expect you to change or to deal with issues in your life or in your heart. Things that you struggle with and have struggled with for years. I can't approach you and say, well well, you know she needs to be stoned. And the problem with the church today is that we're still trying to stone people that Jesus is trying to save. And the problem with the church today is we want to stand up against all of these things and Jesus is saying I need to save them. And the only way to save them is to kneel down in humility. He ignores the accusers. He ignores them. Somebody say ignore them. He ignores the accusers. Now I bet this is this is some problem for these religious leaders. How dare you ignore what I'm saying to you? Come on, somebody. If I gave you, I, you better respond to me. He ignores them. This they said, testing him that they might have something in which to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. oh my God I love it it just happens it just happens see listen 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 he, he that, that they said this they want to accuse him they cared nothing for true righteousness Understand this. They didn't care for true righteousness at all. They didn't care for true justice at all. They didn't care for any of this. It was evident because they carefully arranged both the adulterous act and her arrest. Come on, somebody. And they claimed this woman was caught in adultery in the very act, yet they did not bring the guilty man before Jesus. So they didn't actually care about righteousness or correcting or justice or whatever it was that they said they were. Because they only brought one person to condemn. Yes. They use the woman as a weapon and a pawn. Guess what? I want you to hear something. This is still going on today in the church because we have, hold on right quick, we have set and we have turned our churches into political places where we use issues and people as pawns when we're not actually truly caring for righteousness. That's true. We don't care for justice. So we'll talk about abortion and we'll ignore Black Lives Matters. Oh, I know they're going to get mad at me. It's fine. It's fine. We'll talk about this and we'll we'll ignore police brutality. We'll talk about all these things and we won't talk about all these other issues. And I want you to hear me. If we actually cared for righteous things, if we actually cared about righteousness, we wouldn't cause and use people as pawns. And we use it as pawns, because we want to push in a religious agenda. You know what You know the problem is, is we keep trying to get government to legislate morality. We can't legislate morality. We want the easy way out. We want our government to legislate righteousness. It doesn't come through government. It comes through Jesus. We don't get, the righteousness is not legislated. It is not something that comes through government, earthly set up man government. It only comes from the Lord. And it doesn't happen because of a law. It happens because Jesus writes on the hearts of men yes. and women. Come on, somebody. But we keep asking and begging for it to be legislated and cause because so, no, no, no. it's harder for us to learn how to love people to the point where they find Jesus, but we need to control them. We can't model compassionate love, unconditional love like Christ. So the next best thing is let's control them. Then we'll feel great in our own bubble, yeah. and then the whole world's loving Jesus. Oh my God! People get so mad at me because they're like, you know, you know, Al will be going after the the liberals. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because they they most that. I don't expect morality to come from things that are not a part of Jesus. It comes from the Lord. Amen. But the Bible is very specific and very clear how I reach people who are far from him. And it ain't through control. It's through compassion. And they get mad at me. I'm like, oh my God, you should talk about this more. You should do that more. And sometimes I find myself getting in my own feelings like, oh, man, am I missing something? And then I just get mad. And I had to pray because I just want to cuss everybody on Facebook. Come on. Son. <laughs> y'all don't even know, boy. it has been a few times the last few weeks. Ooh, I just typed up some things. I was like, nah, I better not say that. I want my people in my church to be like, Although y'all probably like Pastor Fred, boy, I love you. Yes, sir, but you know, I don't, want, I don't want y'all to be like in the community going, hey, your pastor cussed everybody over Facebook, how you feel about that? Well, did you need to be cussed out? <laughs> Come on. Adultery is not the kind of offense that can be committed by one person in solitude. If she was caught red-handed, her how was her guilty partner allowed to escape? They were not looking on this woman as a person at all. They were looking at her as a thing, an instrument by where, whereby they could formulate a charge against Jesus. She was a pawn. She had no rights. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. This was a careful and deliberate response from Jesus. Instead of making an immediate verbal response, he stooped down. Then he wrote on the ground with his finger, presumably in the dirt on the ground. Jesus modeled that we are not to try and condemn people. We have to be able to touch dirty things. Come on, somebody. He stooped down. This indicates humility. Jesus didn't react with anger or immediate outrage. He didn't scream at the woman or those who brought the woman. Now, this is beautiful for me to hear. Come on, somebody. Because he didn't go off on her and he didn't go off on them. I would not have been like Jesus. Come on. It would been a straight up kung fu movie right there. I would have been like, move out of the way, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He didn't do that. Jesus paused and stooped down. There is power in the pause. There is power in the pause. There is power in the pause. There is power when you learn how to stop and assess the situation. What's really going on here? What's really happening here? There is power when we pause before we post Come on somebody, I have had to learn this myself. If I don't pause before I post, I might lose a lot of people, come on. You catching me? There's power in the pause. He paused and stooped down. Stoop down is a low posture. In his stooping, he identified with the, uh, the humiliation of the woman. Instead of condemning her, he decided to identify with her. He got down in a low place. He identified with her humiliation. Jesus uh, did what he could to identify, care for, and ease the embarrassment of this woman. One may say this story illustrates a greater problem. How, God can, how can God show love and grace to the sinner without being uh, unjust, without breaking his own law? He does it first by identifying with the sinner in their low condition. He identified with her in her brokenness. He identified with her in her rejection. He identified with her in her humiliation, in the insecurity, in the way that she was treated. The hurt, the pain. He identified with her. Jesus offers freedom through humility. His freedom. Will identify with us in our hurts, in our pains, in our issues. He stooped down. Somebody say he stooped down. And then he started writing. And he wrote, and he wrote in the presence of this woman and these men. Jesus wrote something, and it's been an endless debate among preachers and people for a long time. And I think the Bible left it clueless and left it a mystery for us to debate about it because all of us need to understand that whatever he wrote doesn't matter what he wrote in that moment. What matters is what he writes right now can apply to where we are right now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what he wrote to them. What matters is what he's writing to us. What matters is the fact that he wrote. What matters is that he modeled humility and that he wrote something in the dirt that made the accusers recognize their own sinful nature. Wow. Boom. Yeah. He says he wrote in the dirt. What's happened? Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. What's happened for a while has been, it's been a debate for a long time. Some think that Jesus simply doodled in the dirt. Come on. The word uh, in, they, they use, is, it translates to draw. Somebody say to draw. draw. Some simply think Jesus stalled for time. Some think that Jesus wrote the passage in the law that condemned the adulterous woman. Something Jesus wrote out a passage like Exodus 23.1. Do not put your hand on the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. (laughs) Something that Jesus wrote the name of the accusers. Something that uh, Jesus, that, that, that he wrote the sins of the accusers. Something that Jesus followed the Roman judicious practice and wrote out his sentence before he said it. The normal Greek word for to write is graphene, but here the word is cartographing, whatever it means, which means to write down a record against someone. Are you catching this? Yeah. Jesus stooped down and wrote, He acted as if He did not even hear the accusation against the woman. Perhaps Jesus ignored them because He despised their wicked work. Perhaps Jesus ignored them because he was embarrassed for the woman's sake. Wow. Paul made a reference to the meekness and gentleness of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10.1. And this is what we see on display here. 7 and 8 shows that they continue to ask Jesus they continue asking him, what are we going to do? Do we stone this woman, do this stuff? And then the Bible says, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He stands up, he addresses the accuser, he stoops back down. My Lord, oh my word, this, this there's some power in humility. There's some power in connecting with people in their situation. So he stands up, he delivers this word, and then he stoops back down. Jesus said directly to the accusers woman, to the accusers of this woman, he made eye contact with them. He said he who is without seeing among you, let him throw a stone at her first. What's happening here? In Jewish law, witnesses to the capital crime had to begin the stoning. Wow. Witnesses to the capital crime, the people who saw the very act, who had to see this go down. Pharisee hood. Come on, somebody they had to be the first person to throw the stone. And in this moment, I wonder if they realize, oh snap, I am just as messed up as she is. Oh snap, if I throw the first stone, I reveal my own issues. Oh snap. If I throw the first stone, I tell everybody in this public venue that I was trying to embarrass. That I was watching the whole thing go down. If I throw, if I throw the first stone, I have to admit my own sins. That's right. That's right. You are preaching. Jesus said, we may execute her, but we must do it correctly. Okay, guys? This is what you want? Let's do it. But one of the witnesses must begin her execution. So who among you is the one who witnessed this crime and only brought to me the woman, not the man? Who designed the humiliation for this poor woman? Ah, Jesus. Why you got to do them like that, Jesus? They weren't ready. No. Oh, okay. So you want to do this. So let's go ahead and tell all these people that you're standing here trying to embarrass me and this woman with. Let's go ahead and show them how impartial you are. How much you really don't care about Jewish law. How much you're really not concerned about righteousness. How much you really... Let's let's reveal what's really going on in your heart. Let's show the true character and nature of your religious laws that only persecutes certain people for certain issues only to get you... I heard a preacher say this a long time ago. He said, we are... Great judges for other people's sins. And even greater lawyers for our own. Instead of passing a sentence upon the woman, Jesus passed a sentence upon the accusers. He didn't say don't execute her. He simply demanded that justice be fairly and righteously applied. <laughs> it wasn't that these men had sinned once or twice before, and so had no right to be concerned with the woman's sin. Is that they orchestrated and plotted her sin, her shame, using her as a weapon against Jesus. In this direct incident, they had a greater sin and a greater guilt. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And in this ex- incident, Jesus exposed a common sin. It's a desire to punish the sin of others while ignoring our own sin. Come on. If we look at the sins of others, we must be aware that we have also sinned. There's still a place for exposing and rebuking and directly dealing with sin of others in God's family, but it all must be, it must always be done with a heart that recognizes itself as a forgiven sinner. When done right, confronted sin is more, is done more often with tears and a broken heart than with anger and condemnation. Amen. Are you catching this? Jesus offers freedom through humility. Somebody say humility. Y'all like, man, we got two more. You've been going a long time. (laughs) I promise you, the next one's going to go quicker, all (laughs) right? He offers freedom through humility. His freedom is partnered with humility. The next thing is Jesus' freedom is offered with no condemnation. Somebody say, no condemnation. What happens as this goes on, as Jesus calls them out, as he says, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Guys, I'm with you. Let's do it. Y'all Ready? But we're gonna do it right. We're gonna do it righteously. We're gonna do it justice. We're gonna do it the way the law demands that we do it. So we're gonna do this. We're gonna do it right. So if you saw this go down, come on, somebody, you watching this whole thing? You go ahead and pick your rock up first, and I guarantee you, nobody, you know, you throw your stone first. Now they all standing there holding their stone. They ready. Somebody said they ready, and none of them threw stones. As a matter of fact, the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones and walk away and I wonder if there's something to this because I wonder if if, if the, the the way that it happened and the way it went down from the oldest to the youngest, I wonder if it's because the older people realize oh you know what, there's something to this there's something true about this I have done this thing long enough to know that I got my own issues and I can't be sitting here focusing on everybody else's, you know when people are young and zealous and they all religious they want to save everybody and they want to condemn everybody but it, when You've been around this thing for a long time. You realize, man, I need grace and mercy all the days of my life. Come on, somebody. I need this thing to follow me everywhere I go. If you go through a storm, you realize how quickly you need grace and mercy. Most people don't even know they need grace and mercy until they face something and they're like, ooh. God kept me in the middle of that. I'm so glad God covered me and didn't cause shame on me when I was going through what I was going through. And then nobody knew I was going through it. Come on, when you've been around this thing long enough, you done walked through some ups and some downs, some ins and some outs. And you done dealt with people and you've been hurt by people and you felt the grace and the mercy of God flow over your soul. It's easy to drop your stone and walk away from condemning people. Wow. It gets easier to say, oh, you know what? I'm not even, listen, baby. I know what you're going through. I know the struggle. Come on, somebody. Yes. Yes. And I wonder if they threw their stones down from the oldest to the youngest because the oldest was like, guys, he, I don't even want to be here in the first place. What y'all got me out here for? The accusers respond by leaving. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in the midst. Being convicted by their conscience, they were convicted by what they heard from Jesus. Seemingly, it wasn't what Jesus wrote, though it may have had something to do with it. More so, it was what Jesus said that convicted their conscience. Something to know. It speaks well that these men's consciences were not dead or burned over. Come on, somebody. That they, they could still be convicted by their conscience. But this encounter for them, I think, was life-changing as well because they were now more, more than ever aware of their own sin nature than the sin of the woman and I love this because this models a come on listen now it models a working of Jesus what happens not only does the woman's life get changed in this but these men have an opportunity to change as well Jesus says something that initiates. Oh shoot! Why am I here? Why am I standing out here condemning this woman? I got my own issues. <laughs> now Jesus could have said, "Hey guys, I got a whole bag of stones over here, <laughs> so you want y'all all lined up? Cause uh, I'm ready." Because I just witnessed all y'all sin by the Jewish law, I can c- condemn you and I can take you out. Come on, somebody! But they went out one by one. We understand why they left. They were convicted by their conscience. It's not immediately clear why they left in order. The orders even to last. Perhaps the oldest left first because he most easily understood what Jesus was talking about when he said, he who without sin can come also. It seemed like a procession. They kept going out. It lends to that they walked out in order. They didn't run out. They accepted the correction and walked As they leave, this woman is standing there by herself. We don't know if she was actually standing or sitting, but she was left in the middle of this public arena with her shame, with everything that had just been done and said, she was left right there. And Jesus stands up and guess what he says? What, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Where are those who tried to humiliate you? Where are those who wanted to use you for their own nefarious reasons? Where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? And she says, nobody's condemned me. They all left. They all left. They're gone. I don't know where they are. And Jesus looks at her and he says, I I don't condemn you either. And it's important for her to understand and hear this because she knows who Jesus is. She's left there standing in her shame. She's left there standing in her rejection, in her pain. She's left there standing, holding this, this bag of what they just gave her. Come on, public shame. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Because at the end of the day, you know what? The church will condemn people. The church will condemn, it's just nature, it's just how people, do the church work in some way, out some weird reason they're going to do it. But here's what we have to understand, no matter how much people try to condemn you, the Bible is very clear that Jesus doesn't offer con- condemnation. And he looks at her, he says, I want to clarify something. I don't condemn you either. Why does Jesus do this? Because Jesus is the only one who can. She understands that. The people in the crowd understand and And he says something to model to them, guys, we are not going to change the world by condemning people. I don't condemn you either. Somebody say, I don't condemn you either. I don't condemn you either. And then he says this to her. Now go... And sin no more. Go and sin no more. The last thing is this: is that Jesus, freedom offers, is offered with hope. Somebody say hope. He says to her, "Go and sin no more." Somebody say, "Go and sin no more." Jesus sent her away, sent her away with a call to stop her sin. And to continue stopped in regard to that stop sin, he sent her away without ever approving or accepting her sin. He offered her hope. He says, go and sin no more. Somebody say go and sin no more. The form of the command implies a ceasing to commit an action already started. Essentially, Jesus says, stop your sinful habit. And no more report, uh, points to no return. The thought of no return. Jesus was a mastermind with words. He crafted these words so carefully for her. And he did just very powerful words. These several, he did several things with these very powerful words. Go, somebody say go, and sin no more. He recognized that what the woman had done was sin because he told her to stop sinning. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, Girl, it's sin. Okay? Here's the thing they caught you. There's some other issues going on there. But this is sin nature. This is sin. And he recognized what she was doing, what she was doing was sin. And he told her to stop sinning. And then he told her to repent and not to continue in sin. Guys, I think I have, I don't know if I, have I preached this yet? Uh, maybe I haven't, but I'm going to. If I haven't, then you can tell me if I haven't. If I have, then maybe you can be like, yeah, I remember that. But repent doesn't mean stop and don't do it. I mean, I know we say that, but it means Reconsider. Jesus in the sin say, "Hey, hey, hey, go and sin no more." He called her sin out, and then he said, "I want you to reconsider this. He called her to repentance. He called her to a mind of reconsidering how her actions were affecting her life. Come on somebody. Because sin is destructive. It's a destructive thing in a destructive nature and it destroys our lives. Come on somebody. And Jesus said, girl, I want you to stop. Wait a minute. He didn't say feel my, my, grab my cup. He didn't say all that. Okay. But he said, I want you to stop and I want you to reconsider how your actions, you sleeping around married men, is causing your life to fall apart. He said, stop sinning. Go and sin no more. Consider, reconsider this whole thing and stop it. I wonder if we told people, hey, I want you to really consider how this issue is affecting you. I wonder how much people would find freedom and love Christ if it wasn't coming from a, you need to repent because you're going to hell right away if you don't change and do all these things. No, people need to stop and be able to reconsider and say, you know what, this is not healthy for me it's not healthy for me and maybe I need to turn from my sinful way he recognized with these powerful words that the woman had sinned he told her to stop sinning he told her to repent and not to continue in sin and then he gave her hope that her life could go on in freedom from sexual sin go and sin no more listen listen The first word was go. The first thing he tells her after being shamed, after being publicly shamed, is he says to her, this is not the end of your story. After being publicly shamed, he says, it's not over yet, girl it ain't finished yet this is not the end of your story this is not the end of my freedom this is now how I work I understand the law wants to condemn you and tell you that it's over but I'm here to tell you that through Jesus through the light of the world there is now freedom that continues after your sin issue after your failures after your issues after your downfall there is a story on the other side there's another chapter in the book it's not the end it is not over it is not finished just because you had this downfall just because you messed up just because you fell in sin it's not over and jesus offers hope by saying go he doesn't just say stop sinning he says go and sin no more I love it because the church is so busy screaming stop sinning that we're forgetting to tell people to go forward in life. We can't, listen listen, people don't know to, how to stop sinning if they don't have something to go to. Right, right, yeah. Come on, right? We keep talking about being delivered we're not just delivered from something, we're delivered to something. We're delivered to a future and a hope and a, th- and a dream and we're delivered to a passion we're delivered to a ministry or to a call to the Come on. But we keep telling people stop sinning, stop sinning, but we ain't telling them what to do, how to win. Pastor you don't you don't teach about sin enough. No, I teach about how to win. I teach about the victory that we are in Christ. I f- teach about the victory we have in Christ. I teach about us being sons and daughters of the Lord. I teach about us being in a victorious phase, no longer slaves or si- uh, bound in sin, no longer bound to a slave master, no longer bound to the law. We are now free and free indeed and we can be found in Christ and we have a hope and a future. And it's not just don't sin no more. It, it's go somebody say go and sin no more the church is so interested in the sin no more part and Jesus is interested in the go what does he tell his disciples before he leaves go what is the command of the Lord go and they were about to go into their promised land What what did God say go. Over and over found throughout the scripture, arise and go. Go. It's like a father rooting for his son you can do this. I see you. I know you, got. Listen, listen. I know you may slip up and fail. I know something might go wrong on the journey, but God is over in the corner like a daddy going, go. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep running. Keep doing it. Keep going. Keep going. Listen, listen. I know you might have a downfall, but God's like, go, son. Go, daughter. Keep going. I'm rooting for you. All of heaven is over here. Great cloud of witness. We're rooting for you to keep going don't let the shame stop you don't let the dishonor stop you don't let the rejection be the end of your story there's another chapter on the other side and I want to talk to somebody maybe watching online don't let church hurt be the reason there's joy on the other side I'm sorry for my brothers and sisters, they're crazy. I want to punch them in the face too. But it's not the end of the story. Jesus didn't just die, he got up in victory the end of the story was not the 12 commandments I mean it's not the law, the tablets and all this stuff, the 10 commandments, whatever it was not, that. the end of the story is we reign in victory, That all come to the feet of Jesus that the whole world was loved by the Lord and he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever might believe on him may find eternal life and have love unconditional, they can experience joy and peace like never before it's not the end of the story he gave her hope that life could go on in freedom from her sin and then in this word he also gave her a word of hope to speak against the shame that would likely threaten to overwhelm her life go and sin no more Go and sin no more. Five very powerful words. To a woman who is publicly shamed by the religious leaders for their own personal gain. It's hope. The woman needed hope because the consequences of her sin would be severe enough after this, she would likely be shunned by her community and rejected by her husband, and perhaps even divorced. And Jesus said, Daughter, even with all the possibilities of the consequences that you may have to live with, something on the other side. Why did we start with the scriptures that we started with earlier? Because Jesus gets down into the bottom of the chapter and he says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Okay, listen, listen. And so he's having this conversation with them and he says, you guys, my message hasn't found a home in your heart, right? And he says, your father's of the devil. He's lies, all lies. And he says, you won't believe the truth. You struggle, you want to kill me because you can't accept me as truth because you can't accept my message. What was he saying? Your problem is I just demonstrated something to you and you still won't accept it as truth. Your problem is you're so stuck in your judgment, you're so stuck in your ways and your right, your self-righteousness that you can't accept the fact what I just did for this woman it's truth somebody say truth and he does this beautiful thing he says your father is the devil your father is the devil if you if God were really your father you would accept me in your heart you would make space for me They had a problem accepting truth and it's because they didn't realize that truth was standing right in front of them. And today, we keep talking about freedom. We keep talking about true freedom. You know what true freedom is? It's the freedom that Jesus offers. There's only one truth, that's Jesus. Oh, you know, people argue about there's a truth, there's objective truth, subjective truth. No, there is truth that even surpasses what us most religious people talk about. It's Jesus. And Jesus, if we accept Jesus as the truth, ooh, he kind of combats all of our issues. All of our, oh, well, you know, that ain't right. Jesus, like, mm hmm. You got to love the broken. But Jesus, they, they sin. You sin too. I love you. right? I mean, the gospel makes no room for anybody to be judgment against anybody. Let's, let's consider that. The woman needed hope. Jesus offers freedom that comes through hope. we are sons and daughters because we believe and carry the truth and we carry the truth which is Jesus he says this to them he says you are still trapped in sin and slaves and when you're still caught in sin you're a slave to your sin master right and he basically says slaves don't have a permanent home with the father catching that like sons do, like daughters do. He, what is the defining point? The defining point is Jesus. And he goes, Slaves don't have it. Like sons and daughters. So if the son sets you free, if the son sets you free, I love how they said it right here. It says, If the son sets you free, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. Where you go, where you go. Oh man. Okay. If this son sets you free from sin, then become a true son and be unquestionably free. What just happened here? This whole thing just went down. They wanted to condemn her, stone her, and all this stuff. And this is what the law does. Condemn, condemn, condemn. Accuse, 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 accuse. You are sinful, you are dirty and distant. You are this, you are that, you are this. And Jesus steps in the middle of it and guess what he does? Forgives sin. Forgives sin. (laughs) What happened last week? He forgave sin before he changed the condition what happened this week he forgave sin without condemnation and she had no condition that he could change right in front of them they had to accept that forgiveness from the father from the son was enough and he says, you guys, your problem is is you still can't accept this truth that forgiveness from the son makes you free. And that's the problem. It's the problem with the church. We're still condemning those who are messed up. we can still, we don't have compassion because we don't accept that forgiveness of sin is enough from the son. We need our metrics. We need to see it. We got to see this. We got to see that. Oh, I don't believe that she's forgiven when she ain't sleeping around with everybody. And Jesus said, baby, baby doll, go and sit no more. Stay with me. Thank you, Lord. For the one inside of my voice, I speak. Peace over them. I thank you for what you're doing in their hearts. I thank you, God, that today we recognize that forgiveness of sin comes from you and you only. God, we can't find freedom in the law. It's just not there. It's not possible. It's it's pretty much impossible. Actually, the Bible is very clear, Lord, that the law empowers sin. It gives life to sin. And for many of us, we've been struggling, Lord, free us from the law. Free us from the law. Free us from this slave mentality. Free us from this mentality that keeps us from being sons and daughters. And let us find in you, the strength, the hope, the peace, the love, everything that we need. Just like this woman, God, in this story, I pray that you let us hear your words saying, go and sin no more. Not from a place of condemnation, but as a father talking to a son, talking to a daughter. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.